Stages of labor, hormones of birth, and timing contractions are not the most important or effective ways to learn about physiologic birth. And chances are, you've learned some of that, and you still have questions about what to expect from birth. And these questions linger because the sources that are teaching childbirth preparation are only offering facts about labor and birth created to enable the medical system to justify the use of interventions to speed up labor despite the injuries experienced by mothers and the disruptions to the mother-baby bonding. Before birth became a medical procedure that needed these guidelines and metrics, women were shown physiologic birth instead of charts and graphs and tables. Today, we have the benefit of merging traditional physiologic birth knowledge with what is useful from research and evidence And this has been the key to helping my students and clients avoid things like tears and traumatic birth injuries and go on to have fulfilling natural births. If natural birth is calling you, merging traditional physiologic birth with learning modern knowledge may be the answer to your lingering questions. And you can begin the journey of seeing physiologic birth with a free class that will introduce you to the three P's of physiologic birth that help my students and clients avoid tearing in only 15 minutes so you will know why you can trust your body to give birth without injury. After watching this 15-minute video, you will know what physiologic birth really is and why learning the stages of labor, lists of hormones, and cervical dilation rates is just not enough, the most common points in labor where tissue damage tends to occur, and how to use the three Ps of physiology to prevent the causes of tears or episiotomies. And you will learn the difference between being 10 centimeters and being ready to push. After seeing the physiology in this way, one of my students, Sarah, said, simply mind-blowing. Thank you so much for sharing this information. I want to share this with all of the birth professionals that I have ever met, as it is so clear to me now how we have all been missing the big picture. And Cassie said, I took four courses, and yours is the one I walked away with feeling the most empowered. Very specifically, the physiologic birth part where you show the slides of where baby is. Having known what baby does in that dance with the pictures, just let me trust the process so I never felt worried. So if you'd like to learn more about what Sarah and Cassie are talking about, you can get started with this very special and unique physiologic birth training for free at naturalbirthcompass.com forward slash free class. I hope to see you there. We cannot live in a world that is not our own in a world that is interpreted for us by others. An interpreted world is not a home. Part of the terror is to take back our own listening, to use our own voice, to see our own light. A quote by Hildegard von Bingen. At the turn of the year and the beginning of a new astrological age, I find myself once again thinking about the future of life, of humanity, and of course, the future of birth. So today, to pick up where we left off near the end of 2020, I thought I would share my thoughts out loud here on the Journey to Birth podcast. So here we go to contemplate about the future, the future of birth, and the choices that will take us there. Imagine transforming the anxiety, the worry, and uncertainty you have about your birth right now into the confidence and knowledge that will end everyone's questions about your natural birth and even have them asking you how you did it. Are you ready to stop imagining your wonderful birth and start preparing to experience it? Then you're in the right place. I'm Tristan, the creator of the Natural Birth Compass online childbirth education program. 
and I'm coming to your ears with perspectives of birth from across time and cultures to help you become more informed and confident in your birth. So grab your mug, fill it with your favorite tea, and let's begin the journey to birth. Here we are at the beginning of 2021, and it feels a bit like the year 2020 never really happened. All the stuff happened that we'll always associate with 2020, all the new habits that we formed, the new views we have on life and on health, new perspectives about things that we won't take for granted, like toilet paper and parties. But I feel like there's also this feeling that we've missed a year. And I think some of that is because so much of 2020 felt like it was out of our control. So much of our lives became about being told what was allowed and not allowed, while the focus was less on education and understanding and more about fear and compliance. And in fact, it became really interesting as a birth professional to see how much the events of 2020 paralleled the world of birth in the system, where we find that much of the recommendations and the precautions around birth are less about the individual well-being of a mother and a baby, but more about what we think we know about public health and safety based on a really limited amount of information and a narrow view of birth. Now, I don't want to spend time here focusing on the COVID virus because that's not really my area of expertise. The extent of my understanding about all of this is really based on my general understanding of the immune system and a little bit of undergrad coursework that I did at the University of Washington when I thought I was going to go on to study public health and epidemiology. It turns out that field is much too political for my interest. But I do know that we don't know very much about this virus. And after only about 12 months, the research is still in the baby phases as far as research goes. We still don't even know the whole picture of how this virus works or how to treat it for a large majority of those who actually do experience symptoms. I think it's important for us to keep in mind about things like this because often we hear politicians and government agencies making decisions and policies based on science and research. But we don't actually know if any of the decisions that they're making on our behalf are accurate, because the research and the science are just too little and too soon. And I even expect that years from now, we'll know so much more, and we'll know where we were right, we'll know where we were wrong about all of this. You know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, and I think that phrase is only going to have so much more meaning when we're not in 2020 anymore. Just one more oddity of this year, I guess. So let's circle back around to birth, because that's really why we're all here, what this podcast is all about. Now, the reason that I brought up COVID is really for a couple of reasons. As I mentioned already, the whole time that this thing has been going on, I've been really curious about how much it parallels what we see in the realm of birth. And also, I've been thinking about the future of everything, as I'm sure you have too, especially if you have kids or you're about to become a parent for the first time, and on the cusp of the year changing and this astrological age changing as I'm recording this in the final weeks of 2020. Now, the reason that I see the events of 2020 paralleling the realm of birth is that inside the birth system, and when I say the birth system, I'm not only talking about the hospital. This can be quite equally present in birth centers and even among home birth midwives in many areas today. Birth inside the system, it's based on very little research because research in pregnancy and birth, well, 
It's often not ethical, and it's also complicated because there's just so many factors and so many unknowns in birth, and often there are many other people and influences over a woman's birth that direct the outcome of her birth. Plus, birth is not a medical event, and there's very little money in research around birth. If we're researching certain interventions and we find that they're not supportive or improving outcomes, which actually has been done in several areas, but the research is largely ignored because no one makes money off of doing less interventions in birth. Let me give you an example of what I mean. We know that continuous fetal heart monitoring does not improve outcomes for babies or moms, but we still do it so much, both in hospitals and even now in some birth centers, wireless continuous fetal monitoring is being offered as an option. And while it's never been proven to improve birth outcomes, we know that continuous fetal heart monitoring does lead to a greater risk of high-profile interventions like vacuum delivery or C-sections. This is because the research is small, and it's mostly based on observation. The numbers clearly indicate that outcomes haven't changed despite the use of continuous monitoring for decades, and yet it's still in use in over 60% of births. And now, that number may even rise since many birth centers are starting to use it routinely today. So this is where I feel that we have to be careful in relying on science to make decisions because the practice of using fetal heart monitors is based on a scientific idea that if we can monitor a fetal heart, we can prevent a negative outcome, but the science just hasn't supported that outcome. And yet the practice is still in use and families are still told that using this technology is the best chance of having a safe birth which is not actually true. Even if we apply the supposed gold standard of evidence-based medicine, and if you don't know how I feel about evidence-based medicine and research being pulled into birth, you can listen to episode 43 of the Journey to Birth podcast where I talk about research and evidence-based medicine and how it applies to birth. But even if we apply this method, it doesn't fit the model. Remember, true evidence-based medicine is based on three aspects, the public health information that has been gathered from the broader population, your care provider's specific clinical experience, and then your choice whether to accept or decline the intervention. So if we look at the first aspect alone, the public health data, we haven't improved outcomes for moms or babies with continuous fetal heart rate monitoring, so it already fails. Now, your individual caregiver may feel strongly that they've seen continuous monitoring save a baby's life. And if they've attended enough births, it may be true that they have seen a birth where the fetal heart rate monitoring was the clue to a problem. But most often, there were already signs long before the fetal heart rate monitor picked up anything, if you're paying attention. And right now in our birth culture, even the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology acknowledges that continuous fetal heart monitoring has increased rates of unnecessary interventions like vacuum deliveries and C-sections without improving overall outcomes. And this kind of situation is where it's clear that relying on external information impacts pregnancy and births and mothers and newborns. In part, the reliance is a problem because when it comes to this type of technology, the error rate is very high for many reasons. For instance, one simple and often overlooked reason is because babies move. They descend deeper and deeper into your pelvis and the monitor loses track of the baby. And even worse, the monitor may pick up the elevated heart rate of a laboring mom who's working really hard. 
And that can sound like a deceleration of the baby's heart rate. And this then starts the fear and the intervention cascade. Now, most of the moms I work with, they aren't in an environment where they use monitoring like this, so they don't see this type of scenario, but I do teach them the basics of monitoring just in case they find themselves needing a transfer and having to advocate in a hospital environment where this kind of thing can spiral very quickly when we don't take a moment to use logical and rational thinking about how the technology is being applied. So I do think it's important to have an understanding of the technology out there so that we know how to use it appropriately and when it's really called for. And then there's the third aspect of evidence-based medicine, because the third aspect is if you even want the intervention in the first place. And as I covered in episode 43, this aspect of evidence-based medicine is rarely discussed in practice for every intervention, especially if your caregiver sees an intervention, not as an intervention, but as something that's just routine. Remember the cognitive bias way back from episode number one, when I covered communication and we talked all about how a cognitive bias is formed. So that's the past and the present. Now let's start thinking about the future of birth. Where are we going? Right now, we are so programmed to think about science and research and medicine knowing what is right and wrong for us, so they can tell us what's allowed or not allowed in birth. And this will be the experience most of the time for families who are choosing to birth in the system, where there are policies and regulations in place. Because this is normal, and it's accepted as routine today, it can be hard to imagine how to give birth any other way. So what does this mean for the future of birth? Could we as a species forget how to have a natural birth without direction from an expert? We are becoming dependent upon external help to give birth, upon someone else directing us. And that relationship really begins during prenatal care. Well, actually, it probably begins when we're going to the doctor or the pediatrician in the first place for routine visits. Essentially, we're trained for this. When our care provider tells us what we need to do, what we need to know, what we need to be tested and screened for to tell us whether our pregnancy is healthy, and to tell us if we're capable of giving birth in the paradigm that's been created for us. Now, I do believe that medicine is an important part of life, and doctors are needed for their expertise when we are actually in a place at a level that we choose to seek that kind of help. But the dynamic that we've set up for ourselves today, the way we've disconnected from our own inner knowing, and we've become so dependent on external information and validation, this is where I raise a concern. Because what kind of future does that set up if you're dependent upon what someone outside of yourself tells you about your own body or your own pregnancy or what you're allowed to do with your body? And this is a conversation that has come up with my cohort of birth professionals. I'm not the only one thinking this. Because we're seeing as we move forward in time, more of the women giving birth will themselves have been born via induction or by C-section in a time when these interventions are on the rise. And we wonder what kind of impact that leaves on a woman's body. Does experiencing a managed birth or a surgical birth affect the inborn knowledge of natural birth for that generation? If a woman's first experience of her birth, meaning her own birth, was a birth by force, What does that tell her nervous system about normal birth? If her mother birthed her in a state of pain or fear, what did that tell her newborn nervous system about the safety of birth? The system we're living in right now is one of dependency and one that's changing the definition of normal birth in exchange for perceived safety. Much like 2020, really. 
And we don't actually know if the efforts that we're undertaking, all of the interventions and the management in birth now, are these approaches really making birth safer? And one might argue that, yeah, of course, fetal and maternal mortality has dropped significantly in the last 100 years since we've brought birth into hospitals, since we introduced physician-managed care of birth, since we started directing pushing, since we created the technology to monitor every second of birth, since we started using antibiotics in birth. But just like with infectious disease, we can't say the improvements are strictly because of hospital interventions or bringing doctors into the birth room. Much of the improvements to health come from infrastructure improvements. Homes having indoor plumbing and running water, clean energy for heat, learning how to keep our environments clean, refrigerators so that food doesn't spoil so easily. Yes, medicine is a part of our overall advancement. Antibiotics have a time and a place. Even surgical birth has a role in saving human life. But we can't say that improvements to birth come from within the managed system most of the time. And I wonder at what point we'll question if we've gone too far, or if there's a point that we can no longer give birth naturally or without the aid of medicine or directing by a physician, and maybe birth will become a true medical event. And maybe there will be a reason and a truth for that. Maybe the evolution of humans is dictating that we will have to be born via C-section for a reason. I can't say that I feel that to be the truth right now, but we evolve and things change. So maybe that is the path at some point in our future, in our far off future. So the future of birth. What are your thoughts on this topic? As much as I see the system becoming more and more about creating dependency, I'm also seeing more women questioning the system because of that dynamic. And I'm especially curious about the women who are questioning the midwifery care they're receiving, questioning whether their birth is really under their own power when they're met with so many restrictions around if they're qualified to give birth with their midwife. And now with more and more interventions being offered in birth centers and for home births, women are asking why their midwives are losing faith in birth, why they feel so much need to manage and control birth, and why care is presented one way, but delivered in another. Why is there incongruency in words and actions? But some women are seeing through it, and they're looking for other options. I see you out there, and I hear you questioning, and I see you searching for something different, something that you know is still alive in our birth culture. And I want you to know that you can find it if you look for the wise women who are holding the space for you and for a new future of birth, a future that puts birth back where it belongs, in your hands, in your heart, in your body, in your control. A future that sees women and babies as strong, as powerful, that sees how important it is that powerful women are born out of the birth process, that sees that the voices of these powerful women is needed to heal the entire world right now. Every birth is really two births, the birth of a new life and the reincarnation of a powerful woman, a mother, and we need that power and those voices today in every aspect of life. And I see this as how we change the trajectory of the path that we're on today, not only for birth, but even to maintain civilization, to bring harmony back to a world that has become very tilted toward the male-oriented, high-speed, that loud and proud, young, dominant energy that we're in today. We need the gentle but firm, the contemplative and just, 
that yin energetic to balance the harmonics of the world that we're in right now. By taking away women's voices in birth, the most transformative time in a woman's life, when women are silenced under the authority of the expert in the room, under the external knowledge that stifles the inner intuitive knowing, this has been a major disruption to the birth process. When we are afraid to go to those inner depths of birth, to the higher levels of consciousness where instinct and intuition can support the birth process, when instead we want to be here in this everyday realm during birth, that means a woman has to be present with the pain, to be present with every contraction, every centimeter of dilation, with the stretch of every joint and bone. And this creates dependency. But lately, as I listen, I hear more women looking for the way back to a more instinctual and more intuitive birth, waking that inner knowing that knows how to birth. But the instinct and intuition are untrained for so many women today. That means we as a society, as women, we need to re-educate ourselves about the normalcy of birth and our bodies and our energies, about our physiology, about the physiology of birth. And we need to reawaken and train our intuition so it's naturally there to guide your birth experience. This will take time, but if we start now and we teach our daughters and they teach their daughters, birth can belong to women and the voices of powerful yin energy will rise up to balance the harmonics of the world again. Yes, the world is changing. Yes, technology will be more and more incorporated into our lives as we continue into the future and few of us would give it up. After all, this podcast wouldn't exist if it weren't for computers and iPhones and microphones, but we can use technology with reason. We can use it to inform us when needed. We can use it to responsibly save lives, and we can balance it with our inner knowing. We can, and we should, unplug regularly and check in with our inner selves to find our intuition before we forget how. This could be the future of birth, and just the future if we choose to accept the work of our re-education as a society. If this idea and this topic resonates with you, I would love to meet you and to continue this conversation. Send me an email at info at naturalbirthcompass.com or find me on social media at naturalbirthcompass. And you can always find me at naturalbirthcompass.com. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you and creating a beautiful vision for our future. Until then, I wish you a peaceful new year a beautiful and fulfilling outlook on the future, and of course, a wonderful journey to birth. Thank you for listening and being open to new perspectives as we spend this time together. As always, let me know how I can support your journey. If you have topics you want to hear about, guests you'd like to hear from, questions or comments to share, let me know. This podcast is always transforming and you can help shape it into something that helps thousands of families have the best pregnancy, birth, and transition into parenthood possible by leaving a comment or a review or sharing this podcast with others in your life who will benefit from our discussions. Find me on the socials at Natural Birth Compass or email me at info at naturalbirthcompass.com and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on our next episode. Wishing you a wonderful journey to birth.